Welcome to Crossroads Cafe. I'm your host, Eden. Today's episode is an interview with Blood Cultures, whose new album, Luno, is an innovative and brave expedition into the furthest reaches of multimedia storytelling. The interview was genuinely mind-blowing to me, as it touched on a lot of my favorite themes, which include Jungian archetypes, the collective unconscious that unites us all, death, rebirth, cults, meta-narratives, the shadow self and its relationship to social change, and much more. It's all here, and I think it just might hold some keys to how stories can help us reach a more integrated state of being on a collective as well as an individual level. I really hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. This is Blood Cultures. Thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast. I'm a big fan of your music and really, really excited to get to talk to you about some of your new work. Um, I'd love to hear about the changes that your band went through over the past year. Uh, You've described it as a kind of rebirth. What did that look like for you? Um, That's a good question. Um... I think it was sort of, you know, I, I mentioned uh, as soon as we started this that I don't really give out my, my name. I don't really talk about myself. Uh, that's what the project really is. That's what Blood Cultures is. is um, it's about blood cultures. It's not really about me. Um, so it's sort of this idea where I can separate myself from the artwork and from the music and all of it and really um, allow the listener uh to experience the the music um and the artwork with their own um context like their own context of their own life uh rather than mine um so that way it can it's kind of like a um you know i think whenever we hear i I don't know if you feel this way but whenever i find like a new artist i feel like my first impulse is to um look up stuff about them and try to understand them or try to look into their history or whatever um, and, and I think that in a lot of ways that can be a good thing, but it could also be a bad thing and it can be, uh, it, could, it, it no matter what, it will always, uh, affect your experience, uh, with the music. And, um, I really just wanted to try this experiment where it was like, there was none of that. It was just you and the music and that's all. Um, so in a way while that was the original intention and it still is um you know the core value of or the core um principle of the project um i think what really changed was uh what i was talking about because um in a lot of ways i i didn't talk about my identity identity was always sort of the it was questioned but it was never talked about um i like raising questions but I don't necessarily like giving answers. I don't really like giving the context, as I mentioned. Um, so I think, but I think in this case, it was in terms of what I what I felt like I needed to talk about, what I felt like the music was about, and what I felt like um, just where I was at, I kind of needed to give the context um, in terms of who I was and where I'm coming from with this. Because I think without the context, a lot of what I'm doing could be misunderstood. And a lot of it could be uh, misinterpreted in a way that could be maybe destructive or um, not as I intended. So um, I think it's really just, you know, we've always played this this, um, this tricky game of balance of like, what is the right level of context we can give so this can be interpreted in the right way. Um, while not, you know, affecting the person's, you know, the, the, the listener's experience in a, in a negative way, but in ways that will enrich the experience. So, excuse me. Um, I think that was really, that was really the change was the fact that I was going to talk about, um, my ethnic identity and, um, how that how that affected the music and where in the direction of the artwork and the direction of of everything and what the context was of um not only uh the artwork and the way i was uh presenting the project but also the uh the music itself and um i think when you listen to the music when you see the artwork and when you see blood cultures uh when you have the context of um this perspective my perspective my life um I think you get, 
you get to access it in in a more um in a more direct way rather than sort of having questions that might lead you to think it might be um you know insensitive or or, or wrong or i don't know how uh, you can interpret it however you want i guess but um you know i i the truth of the matter is that like why why it was a rebirth why uh you know uh, I felt like the need to do this change was really because, um, and and why I wanted to talk about my ethnicity and my identity and and what that means to me is because, as an anonymous project, you kind of get this privilege. You get the privilege of being like, oh, nobody's going to talk about about my race. Nobody's going to talk about uh, about that, and that's kind of a good thing, you know. I I think that that's sort of a beautiful thing where it's like, oh, it's not about that. And we can kind of live in this utopian uh, society for a second and be like, oh, okay, cool. These problems don't exist here. But it just doesn't reflect my actual experience on this earth. You know, it doesn't reflect the way that I've been treated by society. Um, so in a way, it was disingenuous. While I think that that's, that's still my ideal is that, you know, race is, you know, it doesn't matter. And even to some degree, your ethnicity your culture, et cetera. These are things that really divide us. And in a lot of ways, I think, um, you know, it, it'd be great if we didn't have to talk about those and we could just, you know, live in a, in a society where those things weren't issues. But I think if I, if I'm, um, if I'm, it, the, for me, it's always been about honesty. And I don't think I can be honest anymore mm-hmm. without, talking about this because it's just not my life experience uh i'm not i'm not uh, a white person i'm not um uh, you know i'm not a black person either i'm uh and i think that south asian american identity is something that is very uh, very much not explored in our cultural conversation and i think when you kind of come at this with the idealistic thought that race and, and, and all these things don't matter, which is still my ideal. It's still what I believe. Um, it's just not recognizing the truth, that racism, that um, ignorance more so, um, is still prominent. And, you know, it's sort of like a... sort of like a... Um, it's like a disease, you know? And I have to think about my involvement in that and I have to think about my responsibility in in talking about stuff like that because if I'm silent to it I think I'm just as bad in a lot of ways because I'm not sharing my experience I'm not standing up for my ideals I'm not living uh, you know I would have loved um, to have somebody really champion and stand up for um, South Asian people uh, people of color uh, people like me growing up, but in a lot of ways, you know, we didn't have that, especially in the indie music sphere. So I think it's just important to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. Yeah. And it must have been a pretty big change because I know anonymity is so central to your project and your identity as a band. Um, what did it feel like to kind of begin to reveal these details? Um, it was weird. um i think it was uh uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and um i I don't think that that's a bad thing though i think that it was it's kind of scary and i was just i was a little bit worried about it because i think in a lot of ways i was at a point in my life where i was either going to either going to just start a different project or something to talk about these things or or change the project itself because in a lot of ways it felt like the death of the old you know like you kind of can't change without without uh leaving who you were behind and in a way this there's sort of this death to it and that's sort of what the record is about and you know i'm sure we can get more into that but it is this sort of um you know as you grow and as you change you you let go of the past and and that past, that person that you were dies. And in a lot of ways, that's, that's scary because you're really looking at your mortality in the face and you're looking at, um, you know, this, this great, uh, scary 
chasm of change where you don't know and you're kind of leaping into the unknown. Um, and of course, of course, the response was so positive, um, which was just so, um, it was just so uh, vindicating. That's the right word. It was just so uh, such a relief where it was like, it kind of it kind of proved once again that it's like yeah you should be doing this stuff this is the stuff that you should be moving forward with and and talking about and addressing. Mm-hmm. Totally, yeah. I mean, as you said, um, there's definitely a lack of representation in music and all over, to say the very least. So, um, and I do find it uh, it's pretty powerful that you kind of retain your name, you retain so much about your identity, but you say this one thing is an important thing to share um, because it's so powerful and it's such a a point of connection. So, um, yeah, but I would imagine it would have been a strange experience um, to finally reveal that detail. Um, And I know that your album is all about change and self-discovery as well. You have an album coming up um, called Luno, and I'd love to hear sort of how the themes of change and self-discovery appear on the album and if there are any other themes um, or takeaways that you want to talk about in relation to the album. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, thank you for asking. I, it's all about, uh, like you said, it's all about change and um, not only uh, self-discovery, but uh, rebirth, uh, death and rebirth. So. In a lot of ways, you can't have change without, like, like I mentioned before, you can't have change without the sort of rebirth process, and you can't have rebirth without death. Um, so I was really inspired by uh, the works of Carl Jung, uh, Joseph Campbell, um, and even Dan Harmon, uh, who's a writer of shows like Community and Rick and, Rick and Morty. Um, but I was inspired by these these folks because they all kind of talked about, uh, like like Joseph Campbell really as uh, the one who who brought up the idea of the hero's journey, which is this sort of archetypal journey. It's it's the way we tell stories. So it's sort of like a storytelling device, uh, which is this sort of um, uh, this uh, the story arc, I guess, of the of this character and the character, uh, the hero in this case is like somebody who goes into uh, a new world and um, and has to face themselves in order to come back uh, to their current world to solve their problem. So in terms of the way we tell stories, it sort of always follows this structure. And it's not, it's not a storytelling device in that you have to format your story to fit this thing, but it's, you know, if you look at um, the way we've told stories for, for you know, thousands of years, um, it's just sort of follows a pattern and um, it kind of always has this story, this, uh, this arc of, excuse me, uh, this hero kind of going out and, and going into this unexplored world and having to uh, face, face themselves, you know, go out of their comfort zone, face themselves and then change forever and return being this sort of new person. Uh, and in that, there's this sort of uh, cycle, you know, it's always been, the way it's it's um, broken down is, you know, the way Dan Harmon at least breaks it down is this sort of eight-step uh, cycle, you know, the hero goes and enters the world and so on and so forth. But what, what the stories always tell are uh, the stories of change. You know, if you look at, uh, you know, any of, you know, the Bible, if you want to go there, but uh, if you look in popular culture in terms of like Star Wars, The Matrix, Lion King, you know, you can see this is just the way we tell stories. Every hero uh, faces this same arc. Uh, They always, in a way, die and are reborn. And that's sort of the story of, uh, 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 that's just sort of the way we tell stories. And I, I was kind of curious as to why that was. And uh, that's kind of where Carl Jung comes in with his ideas of the archetypes. So, um, in terms of Campbell, he was a he was a um, he was a student of Jung, and uh, you know Jung had this similar idea of these archetypes and and the the, the hero's journey and so on and so forth. That's really where the roots are of uh, Campbell's theory um, or or Campbell's uh, idea, I should say. Uh, so 
in terms of of what Jung had said, he would look at the archetypes of why you know why we're telling stories this way, the the way we're. He would examine culture. You know, I think that all of this, Campbell and Jung, would both examine culture and really un- try to understand w- why we told stories a certain way. Because there's there's a lot of parallels. You know, you don't have to go to different cultures to hear the same stories. Um, and I really enjoyed uh, Carl Jung's take on the moon and the shadow. So in terms of Campbell's hero's journey, you know, what the hero must do is always face their shadow. And they ha- maybe this is an external thing, like an external character that sort of represents their opposite. But Jung's theory is that, uh, Jung's concept, I should say, of the shadow is that that exists within you. Your opposite exists within you, and you have this idea of yourself, but you have the opposite idea of yourself within you, or the unacknowledged self is the, is the idea of the shadow. So it's only by facing that unacknowledged self that we can really change and be reborn. Um, and, and, you know, if you look back at why we tell these stories, you know, it, it all comes down to uh, on trying to understand the world around us. And I was really fascinated by this concept of, um, you know, in terms of the, these ideas of change, rebirth, and so on and so forth, uh, and death as well. It's always linked to nature in, in terms of relating it to nature. It's always linked to the moon. And I was really curious about that, like, why is that the case? Um, and, you know, when you kind of think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, if you're looking outside of the world at, at, the, at the, you know, the sky and you see this thing that is um, changing every day, you know, you look at it and it looks different, its shape is different. And, you know, it goes from uh, being uh, nothing to being completely a full sphere. And every step of the way, it sort of is growing and changing and becoming this different thing. So it's always represented the cycle of uh, life and rebirth and death. Uh, that's what the moon represents archetypally. So that sort of became the central figure for me in terms of the way I wanted to tell the story. Um, so there's really these eight phases. So the, the moon can be break, broken down into eight phases um, just as well as the, the hero's journey, Campbell's journey, which can be broken down into eight phases. So that's the way I broke down the record, is uh, eight tracks. And each one of them sort of represents a different phase or a different step in this journey, um, all uh, talking about sort of the same stuff, which is about death and rebirth and change. That is all what you're talking about is some of my favorite, my favorite content and my favorite themes. So it's, it's pretty awesome to hear that you're you're doing all this and you're putting it into such a cohesive album. I'm really interested in and been thinking a lot about those universal stories and hero's journey type things. And yeah, like what you said there, um, I definitely think I automatically thought of like seasons. I always think that we can learn a lot from seasons, which just cycle through death and rebirth. And we're so disconnected from the rhythms around us, but we're just, we're part of it. So yeah, I think that that's really powerful, and it's really powerful that you connected it to the phases of the moon. Um, so is each song kind of like representative of a different step on the hero's journey specifically? Um, yeah, kind of. I mean, I don't want to say too much mm-hmm. because I feel like that's something you can kind of take in yeah. as you listen to it. Um, but I kind of always saw this as you know, uh, it's a story in its totality, but it's also representative of, um, sorry, it's also the, the way that I saw it was kind of just this sort of thing that was on its own. Like each one kind of stood on its own and each sort of represented, um, each one kind of tells the story itself. Um, you know, but, but they do all kind of tie in and the way the, the album, uh, or the project is formatted is, um, in a way that sort of follows that journey and follows the phases of the moon as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I know when Young was really into the um, kind of like reintegration of the psyche idea, kind of building the shadow self and mm-hmm. the self and the conscious self into sort of a more cohesive whole. Um, do you feel like you were able to kind of reach a level of wholeness or um, in, in the process? Was it that kind of process for you? Um, or was that a goal of it at all? Kind of reintegrating? I don't, yeah, I don't think that, um, it's a tough question to answer. Yeah. 
I mean, it's because not linear. It's I, always cycling, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to proclaim that I'm, you know, a perfect no, no, yeah. person because I, because I, you know, faced my shadow. But I think that, I think the reason why I wanted to talk about this stuff was because, um, you know, I think when you look at what's happening in the world and, you know, we started off the conversation talking about uh, race and why we're talking about race. And I think that the reason is because people are, are waking up to the fact that systematic oppression and um, ignorance is sort of, you know, really corrupting and uh, corroding our society um, in a very much more open way. I think that it always has been for the record, but it's just something that we are kind of, maybe now is just the time that we're ready as a society to talk about it. Certainly people are not, not everybody's ready to talk about it, but I think there's this idea that people want things to change. They want the system to change. They want, um, you know, change to happen. And, you know, the question is, how do you do that? How does one change a system? How does one change these institutions that have been oppressive, whether we like it or not for, for years? Mm-hmm. Um, and when you look at what an institution is, when you look at what a government is, when you look at what a system is, these are all people and ideas and people with ideas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, there's this sort of, um, I think a lot of people have felt, and I've definitely wrestled with this idea of hopelessness mm-hmm. in the face of that. Um, but the truth is, it's when you think about it, excuse me, mm-hmm. when you think about these people as just people, and when you think about these concepts, as just made of people and ideas, um, it becomes so much more tangible. And you can really approach it in this way where um, you can see how it can actually change because um, people can change. And, and that comes from a, 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 you know, that's a matter of belief. That's a matter of perspective. But I personally believe that people can change. If you believe that people can change, then you can change the system. But in terms of how you can do that, how do you convince somebody? You don't. I think that it's it, it, you you change by you you change the world by changing yourself. Mm. And once you do that, you know, I, it, but how do you do that then? Then that's sort of the question that um that that I wanted to propose here is is the idea of change and how is that how is that actually possible? Mm-hmm. And I I my theory and Jung's theory and you know, I think the the philosophy of the record is by through introspection. Mm-hmm by really acknowledging these darker sides of yourself and understanding your ignorances and understanding who you are in all of this, mm-hmm. um, that is the only way you can actually change. Because I, you know, there's plenty of performative politics, mm-hmm. plenty of performative acts of like, um, you know, uh, kind of, uh, uh, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna be mean about it, but like fake wokeness, mm-hmm. where it, it, it's just, you know, you're doing something because it's trendy or whatever. But like, if you actually want to change, if you actually want things to change, you have to take a pretty good hard look at not only yourself, but your society and humanity and, you, you know, your culture and what it does and what it's been doing. And that's not easy. That's scary mm-hmm. because you might find something that you don't want to know. Mm-hmm. And you might find something about yourself that you don't want to know, that maybe that you've benefited from something that has been destructive or hurtful to other people. But only by acknowledging those things, only by accepting the fact that you are capable of those things and that, you know, people are capable of those things, can you really understand humanity? And only when you understand those things can you actually approach it with a um, more, uh, with a rational thinking rather than just an idealistic way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I certainly, I couldn't agree more with what you're saying. I think, um, yeah, just on the sort of performative wokeness angle, um, you you know, you always hear about the people who are like, oh, love and light is, you know, we're all one race. And that that's such a, I guess, like spiritual bypassing is something I've been reading about um, just to wipe over these systems that are literally embedded within us and like deeply embedded in our culture and in each one of us. Um, will never lead to actual healing and rebirth, I think. And like reading, yeah, just reading things like 
um, me and white supremacy is all about sort of looking at where these things start within you, within white people, um, and, and sort of seeing where things go from there. Yeah, I mean, have you seen um, have you seen uh, exterminate exterminate the brutes? Yeah, exterminate all the brutes. I I highly recommend everybody watches that. It's probably the most probably the hardest thing um to watch you know it's really it's it's brutal um but it is eye-opening in terms of the origins of white supremacy and um you know how it's really affected our modern day in a way that you know it, it it's kind of i think it um it even says this at some point where it's like this is the history that we all know but we never acknowledge you know um and and it sort of try to gets into why that is. I think a lot of that is because we don't talk about it, and because in a lot of way we are idealistic, uh, and I'm no exception to that. Uh, in terms of what our thoughts are, in in terms of race and so on and so forth, um, when the reality is, it's like that way of thinking of like, oh well, we're all a human race, and races doesn't exist. It's true. Uh, that is that is like a fact, but um, it doesn't it doesn't take away the suffering, right. you know, it doesn't take away the suffering that, that, you know, people, people, uh, have had to deal with for a very long time and myself included. Mm -hmm. I've also been, you know, uh, been treated differently because of my, because of my ethnicity, because of the way I, I look and because of my, my place in this, in this society. Mm -hmm. So I think that even though I might have those ideals, it, it doesn't reflect reality. Right. So in order to actually affect change and, and to get to that place of idealism and to get to that utopian society of race doesn't matter and we can all be, you know, uh, we can all be one, um, we have to kind of take a hard look at ourselves as a, as a whole. We have to look into, you know, our shadow and we have to look at our ignorances and look at what we've been blind to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think if you just even concepts like... Um... I don't know, things like manifestation or whatever say that the uh, the world is just a reflection of your inner world, which I believe more and more. And if you look at the world, yeah, there's a lot mm -hmm. of suffering. There's a lot of serious darkness, which is obviously coming from within. There's, there's a lot of shadows, mm -hmm. which is obviously coming from within people somewhere. Even, and if you're not conscious of it, there's no way to even start to liberate it. Um, yeah, I really believe in the power of sort of naming and like looking your shadow self head on and obviously it's a long process but i think you creating something like this just is planting another seed um certainly planting seeds in my mind about different ways that this could play out um and i think there's a huge amount of um, work that needs to be done and the pandemic obviously was it was a you know a result of a mutation or a virus but i think it also you know, I read so much about people saying actually the real virus is these systemic violences, this racism that this is bringing mm. out and highlighting. And I just feel like, yeah, I feel like now is a time where people are sort of waking up to this idea that actually the inner might be a little more connected to the outer than, than we normally think. So all that is to say, I think what you're doing is, is really powerful um, in a lot of ways. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm interested in um, in you taking inspiration from Dan Harmon because I've certainly spent a lot of time with Dan Harmon's work this quarantine. Uh, what about his work um, influenced yours? Um, I think it, it was sort of his. So he is a. Um, I, I've been a fan of his for a really long time, um, and I, I watched a lot of his his stuff growing up, and. Um, I know he's become very popular now and that's really good. I think he deserves, um, you know, he deserves it because I think he's, he's, he's a brilliant person. Um, he's always, um, yeah, I think I forget what his, his series is called or his website is called, but he had this sort of breakdown of, um, the hero's journey and storytelling. And he talked about, um, Campbell's hero's journey. And that's a common thing that people will do in terms of writing. They will, you know, talk about the hero's journey and Campbell's theory and they'll break it down into different steps. But uh, 
Harmon's was the the most simple, and it was really the most digestible um, way I could understand the concept. Uh, I think that was like the first thing I saw when I, you know it was a while ago that I I saw his his uh, story. It's called the Story Circle. He doesn't even call it the Hero's Journey. He calls it the Story Circle. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's these eight beats, these eight steps, and that was sort of the pattern that I used rather than. Um, you know, if you look at uh, Campbell's version of the 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 hero's journey, it's a little bit more. Um, there's more. There's more to it than that. There's like twelve or maybe even more than that steps, depending on your interpretation of what he says. So different different texts will have different uh, versions of it, but I think uh, Harmon's was the most simplified and the most um, uh, easy to digest at the time. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Um... Because I know that he he certainly likes to mess with narrative and um, challenge a lot of traditional narrative structures. I think like he, community, especially, is just so so meta and reflective. Um, so yeah, it's cool to know that he's kind of inspired by these universal stories as well. And that's actually yeah, I've been thinking a lot about universal stories because I know there's the hero's journey, but then there's also I feel like there's a there's a couple other like main stories that thread through all of our culture and I guess um this might be an impossible question to wonder because it's just really something I've been wondering about but I've been reading a lot about the idea of new stories and the need for a new story or a very old story or sort of a challenge to these linear embedded narratives so I'm wondering if you feel like and again might not might not have an answer but would uh what would true healing come from sort of re-embracing these very ancient stories and following them through or are there ways to sort of create new stories and how do we how do we grapple with those as storytellers um i think um it's a great question i don't know if i have an answer for (laughs) it (laughs) but um i think uh i can only really speak to my experience on this and like myself as a as a a creative and um you know what, what i've done in terms of nonlinear storytelling has been, um, I kind of created this, like, uh, um, I don't know how, how to really describe it. There's an alternate reality game or a, uh, multimedia, uh, nonlinear story, um, which is sort of this story arc that is completely fictional, but exists within, um, a, a YouTube video series, um, it exists within a phone phone number phone line that you can call a uh, website a fictional website with a fictional company um and 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 it takes sort of place in this fictional universe um so all these sort of things are, are sort of the way that i've been telling this one story and uh if you watch all the music videos they're actually all connected into this one into that same universe um so it is this sort of like non-linear story where you can just watch the music videos and, and you can just be totally satisfied or you can kind of delve into this deeper story and really um, get this enriched experience of um, all this backstory and why things are happening in certain ways. So um, I think that in terms of, of uh, what that means, I mean, I don't know uh, if that is something that is, is liberating or beneficial. Um, I'm not sure. I think that, um, yeah, I don't, I'm not totally sure. I, I, I think that it's probably, probably, I think that, I, I don't know. I think that people uh, in general seek order, mm-hmm. right? We always want a pattern and we always, I think that's within our DNA and with our bio, within our biology is to seek patterns for our survival. You know, we, we see, we see faces in, uh, ocean foam because we're looking for them. We're looking for a predator in the jungle um, that might get us. So it makes sense why we're looking for patterns and why we're trying to make sense of the world around us all the time. Mm-hmm. So this idea of chaos is um, almost anti-antithetical to what it means for that idea, you know, for what it means to be a survival, surviving human. So in that way, you kind of have to really, you know, to embrace chaos is to embrace your embrace death in a way. Mm-hmm. So, um, because you're kind of letting go of the order of the, of, of your existence, uh, and everything that you've known. So I think, I mean, there's, I think there's a bravery to it, to, to face chaos, uh, whatever that may be, whether that is sort of 
get, you know, I think David Lynch does nonlinear storytelling really well um, in a way that's really ethereal and just makes you feel in a very unique way where, and it frustrates a lot of people, I think, because you get upset because you're like, oh, that doesn't make any sense because you're trying to make sense of it. But what's so beautiful about, I think, him as an artist is that he he he's not concerned about the 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 um your brain he's more concerned with your heart and the way you feel about it and if it makes sense to you emotionally that's all that matters to him and i think that's such a beautiful way of looking at it and i think that that sort of was the approach for my multimedia uh story um yeah that's a that's that's a perfect answer um yeah no i i'm i super love everything you're saying um I've definitely thought about like multimedia nonlinear storytelling, but I have never really, I haven't seen many examples of people actually doing it. So that is really amazing. Um, yeah, I've always thought sort of liberating the story form, even from one medium, there's, there's a lot of potential there beyond sort of beyond structures, like beyond words, like what Lynch does. I'm also a big fan of his work. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear, anything you're able to share about that project and how it kind of connects and threads around the videos, is it going to be something that people are able to access when they listen or watch the videos or like where, how are you going to um, share it um, if it's not under locks? So there's about uh, three videos I think on YouTube that are sort of the, where you can, where you should probably, if you're trying to get into this, that's probably where you should start. Um, and, and and yeah, I think, I mean, it's it's hard for me to say without, um, I think that the journey is really the fun part is like testing things and seeing if they work. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things that the characters are saying and doing and, excuse me, there's a lot of information that is being displayed mm -hmm. that you can actually use. So, you know, there's a phone number there wow. in the YouTube video and there's a... Um, I guess to describe it, it's sort of an inf it's a 90 style infomercial. That's the YouTube video, and uh, it's about this person trying to sell you on something. Um, and but the the video has been the this infomercial has been taped over, and there's something a little bit more insidious mm -hmm. in the uh, in the tape. So I, I you know I I can't really say much more beyond that. But there's a phone number attached to it, a website attached to it, and once you dive into it. Um, there's a whole backstory that uh, really ties into the record and ties into the the themes of the record and the narrative of the um, music videos. Yeah, holy shit, that's really cool. Um, how long ago did you start planning you. this? Um, what was that process like? Um, plant started six months ago. Um, so it's been an ongoing thing for about six months that's been slowly doled out over time. And, um, you know, I think the concept was sort of to do something that was really, that was, uh, engaging for, for the audience that wasn't necessarily, cause we weren't able to play live mm -hmm. and we weren't able to really do, um, any touring and we actually had to cancel, um, some of our shows. So in order to kind of create this engaging environment, we, my idea was to kind of create this, this multimedia, uh, story so that you can kind of have an experience within uh, a fictional world and you can really dive into it rather than um you know m m like because we couldn't play live or anything like this so uh that's kind of why why it started but in terms of where it's been and, and where it's going it's yeah we started i started like six months ago with it and um it's yeah slowly been building to this point and i think there's going to be um you know, it was really cool is like we had the opportunity to do a, a DJ set on, on spin. Mm -hmm. So we actually used um, the character from the uh, infomercials to be running the DJ set. So he's this um, older gentleman and he's just, you know, really just going, going crazy on the turntables. And it's just, a, it's just really cool. Mm -hmm. So, and a lot of people, I, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if they've, engaged with the the infomercial videos so they might have been a little bit confused by that but mm -hmm. um yeah there's there's a lot to it um it's inspired by uh inspired by a lot of things i guess but um i guess mostly inspired by uh heaven's gate the 
death cult. Really? Okay, tell me more about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm also into Heaven's Gate. <laughs> um, so Heaven's Gate, well, are you familiar with their website? Their we- no, I actually haven't. I just know about the cult. So when they, um, they, they were, you know, a suicide cult that all, um, I think it was the Hale-Bob comet that they, when that went over the earth, um, they thought that was sort of the spaceship in which they would ascend, right. uh, to, to heaven. So, um, they'll, they'll die. They'll, uh, kill themselves and, but not all of them. They, they left a couple people behind. And uh, or I'm not sure if it was one or two, but they left one person in charge of the website. So there's one person that is still in- responsible for this website that is still active to this day. Um, and you can go on the website and it looks like it's still from, you know, the mid-90s. And it's such an interesting thing that this person was sort of left behind in charge of running a website and answering emails while everybody else was ascending to heaven in their mind. So it was sort of inspired by that, like this idea of uh, ascension and what that means. And yeah, there's a lot of the themes that are in the uh, album that are reflected in there that is sort of explored. And it was also a really great way to um, to plug a lot of the uh, the music videos and the and, and tease a little bit of the music. So people that really engage with it could get, you know, early access to clips of the audio or, you know, uh, little bits of the videos and stuff wow uh, by engaging in the website and stuff yeah i mean i'm i'm in awe that's uh that's amazing um what like i just want to hear more about um like what about the themes of ascension where do those appear so the i mean i can't uh, it, there's a whole um I feel like there's a whole religion here. Yeah. <laughs> there's a whole like fictional religion here that's yeah. um has its own philosophy and its own deities and prophets. Um so it's hard it's hard to get into the whole uh backstory of it without spoiling anything. Um I think um Yeah, I, I mean in terms of ascension what that means, you know, the, there's a lot of themes of uh like I mentioned before the the themes of rebirth and death yeah. are in the music in in a in an unironic way. Yeah. Um in a way that's very you know, uh honest. And in this way it's a little bit more on the nose, a little bit more uh having fun with it. Um where, you know, I obviously do not I don't know if it's obvious, but I obviously I I don't think <laughs> I don't want people to actually follow this guy. I don't want people to actually, um, you know, he's a nut, and that's sort of the character. Is that what happens to this? Um, what happens to you? You know, what happens to you if you're going on this journey and you're sort of following this crazy, this crazy madman? Yeah. Um, and how and how does it tie into the 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 greater blood cultures world and how does it tie into us and those are the kind of questions that will will be answered you know and are answered either through you as the as the player as the observer or um you know through what you discover so um yeah <laughs> I don't know if I answered that question, but <laughs> it sounds like I'll just have to experience it. Yeah. I mean, you're like blowing my mind right now. Cause I just, uh, yeah, it's so, so interesting to hear all these themes like spoken about together in one project. And yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I don't think I fully understand, um, what it is, but I guess I'll just have, yeah, I guess the listener, or the player just has to experience it. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's called, so it's called operators are standing by, that's the name of the series. Yeah. And um, yeah, you can just, I think the if you want to start, just uh, search that on YouTube or on our YouTube channel and you'll, I think that's a good place for it. Um, it's, you know, I, I think it's just, a, it's just fun. Yeah. And I think if I started to talk about it, you, you wouldn't have as much gotcha. fun because you would kind of know what's happening. So I, I would just start, watch the video and just see what you want to do with it. You know, like I think um, there's a lot of stuff that people have, explored and 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 um a lot of things that i've hidden in there that you know if you come across and you discover and you're like oh wow that's really interesting 
and then you know something happens in the music videos it just it just adds to the experience um so yeah i i definitely uh I, i'm sure there's a lot of people who have not checked that out that are still fans of the music and uh so i would i would check it out yeah that's um sounds pretty pretty mind-blowing i mean i've always been interested in the, the idea that their games among us like different levels of experience that you can reach um there's some i don't know if you've seen the oa but i feel like they do that really well in the second season um but yeah that's uh that's pretty awesome and i'm very excited to explore it um yeah i'm just so curious about it like uh when you were planning it i guess like you don't want to say too much but did you kind of have like a big spreadsheet where you laid everything out like i'm just trying to or did you have like a big map that you put everything on how did you kind of lay um, it out? I think, uh, I mean, speaking of chaos, it was a lot of chaos, yeah. I guess. Uh-huh. Um, I think, um, you know, a lot of it was sort of the concepts, I guess, the ideas of what I wanted to explore and, and how I wanted to tell the story were there. But a lot of it was open because, excuse me, I think um, before before working on the on this uh alternate reality game i was more focused with the the music and the and the videos and the visual component so um what i really wanted to do was collaborate with more uh directors mm-hmm. so really allowing other people to take their vision and allow them to do what they wanted um so i had to kind of keep it open and let these um directors really tell their story and what they what the music meant to them um and we were it's not, we were still involved in terms of the direction of those videos but um in, in terms of the story direction not necessarily the directing them ourselves but um we though we were still involved i kind of wanted to be more hands-off um so i kind of let those directors really do their thing like um sam Kristofsky who directed uh, Beneath the Moon and Me and Charlie Dennis um, who did Set It on Fire and the the, the future videos to come it, it, you know and uh, even When the Night Calls with Salim that's those are all we weren't we were uh, helpful but not really involved and then we kind of allowed the story to um, we, we allowed ourselves to work around the story that um, that was presented in the videos so we kind of worked uh, worked the story that I had in mind around these videos and kind of made it all work together. Except for actually this last video, mm-hmm. which um, is done is done by um, a director named Bertold uh, with Judy, who's a German director. Uh, he wanted to be... We worked really, really closely on that, on, on the story together. So he really wanted to incorporate a lot of elements into it. So from the from the uh from the game and from the un- the universe that we've kind of created so you know i spend maybe like we spent hours uh diving into the mythology and the symbols and what everything means so that he could incorporate them into into his video so this last video will probably be which we're going to be releasing with the with the record on the 28th um will you know really reward those players and really reward those people that have been engaging with the the additional material and the additional story um because they'll see a lot of a lot of recognizable things and a lot of things will probably make sense to them mm-hmm. amazing yeah so you've been i imagine there's all sorts of like Jungian archetypes threaded in there and things like that yeah especially in uh, the first music video um there's a lot of uh, i guess also freud freud mm-hmm. Freudian stuff. Right. Um, the the psych, there's a psychologist character who really resembles somewhere something in between Freud and and Jung. Yeah. So, a little. It's a little wink <laughs> at the camera, I guess. For that. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely see the Dan Harmon in that because it's you're sort of taking the super meta approach to um, the storytelling. Like these themes always appear in our stories and in our minds, but by kind of gamifying them and breaking them and reflecting them back i feel like you're kind of doing this reflective little yeah winking at the audience or like winking at the camera kind of thing um which is very cool so 
Yeah, I think, I mean, like when it comes to Dan Harmon and, and just meta storytelling, I think that is sort of the, um, you, you when you started acknowledging, um, I think it was, who was it, Kafka mm-hmm. that started doing this, um, that uh, that started to acknowledge the camera. You know, you started to acknowledge the the fact that this was a show or this was a story and this is this is fake you know um i think that that makes you more aware of yourself mm-hmm. um and i think that there's something really really interesting to that because it you know you can go down a whole whole loop with that but i think that in terms of what you're talking about in in, in chaos and non-linear storytelling i think that that's sort of the first step is um acknowledging the story acknowledging that there is this arc and that there is this um linear pathway so when you veer off of that intentionally that's a choice and it's not that this is bad writing (laughs) it's that this is a choice to to actively go away from the status quo yeah so it's kind of acknowledging the status quo i think that's the sort of first step in 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 getting to that point of having more uh, non-linear storytelling uh, and having that being more accessible and the fact that, um, you know, Harmon has become as successful as he has and, and created something that has been, uh, created multiple projects that have, uh, you know, uh, permeated the uh, the public uh, consciousness. I'm not sure if the, the right word here, but the, um, that is, you know, he's really tapped into something. I think that just says a lot about where story can go and like maybe the future of, of what you want in terms of nonlinear storytelling, you know, I think that's sort of early steps is, is acknowledging the story. And then from there we can go on to, you know, embracing a little bit more chaos. Yeah. I mean, similar to acknowledging the shadow, um, what is Kafka? I always think of he's like, if you look at the abyss, it looks back at you or something like that. Um, yeah, that's a Nietzsche, Nietzsche one, right? Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah. That is. Um, yeah same thing just kind of if you look at the uh, if you're looking at the story or look acknowledging the matrix that would be the first step to uh, getting out of it I guess so Mm -hmm. pretty (laughs) pretty interesting yeah you could go pretty far with that Um, dreams and and reality and things like that but Mm -hmm. um, yeah it all kind of that's a really cool answer um to the new story question is, is kind of all I have to say. Um, cause I definitely think like, I, I always kind of go back to, when I talk about this, like the capitalist narrative is a very cemented story that is really specific. And when I think about exiting that, I think of nonlinear storytelling and embracing the possibility that doesn't even seem like a possibility at times because we're so embedded in this framework of like, it has to be this, it has to be constantly growing and there's there's no other way um than constantly upwards so yeah that's absolutely i think that's a good yeah i think that's a good parallel i mean if you think about the way we are institutionalized and the way we're like raised as as uh, i don't want to speak to everybody but like in terms of american society and american culture what we're really uh you know raised to do is to make money Right. We're raised to, to survive, you know, like we learn a lot of unpractical things mm-hmm. um, so we can get jobs, so we can contribute to a society, right? When it's like, we don't really learn you know, how to deal with our emotions. We don't really learn how to be better people. Um, we learn how to make money. And that's, if you think about it, when if you can equate it to linear storytelling versus nonlinear storytelling, I mean, that's the linear story. You, you, you you are born here, you are raised in a society where you're groomed to make money and you contribute to the system where you're making more money rather than ever acknowledging the rails, the rails that you're, you know, that you're on, that your, uh, your cart is on. Uh, when you start to acknowledge the rails, you start to liberate yourself. When you start to, uh, acknowledge that you don't have to do that anymore, um, you know, that's where, that's where it begins. Like if that's what you want, if that's the change that you want, that's how it starts is you have to acknowledge the fact that these are rails and that these are sort of a linear structure that maybe we didn't create or maybe we don't need anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it makes sense why this kind of story originated. Like there's a big fear of darkness of the, actually I've been trying not to even use that word cause it's too, it's too much of a binary word. 
there's just a fear of, um, yeah, like not having enough, you know, we're, we're humans, we're hungry, we need food. And I think that that's kind of ballooned into this obsessive accumulative thing, which is literally destroying the planet and, um, and has been. So anyway, that's, that's my tangent on, um, on that. But yeah, I think it's all, I think it's all connected. Like, and I think people are very conscious, like we're at a point where we can wake up and realize this is actually too much. Like we need to, we need to kind of have different narratives, um, because this accumulation, um, one man for himself is just not, um, it's not going to work for much longer. I think it hasn't worked for many people for a long time. So it's also difficult. I mean, yeah, excuse me. Like, I think it's, uh, it's hard to acknowledge that you've been programmed. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I learned a lot about philosophy and psychology from the internet and um a lot of that is people talking and a lot of those people talking usually have some they also talk about other things and a lot of what they talk about is like wellness and spirituality or uh and a lot of it's hustle culture and they'll be like well this is you can do all this so you can have a clear head so you can make more money and so you're more productive and it's like well you know that feels a little weird that this why does this have to be associated with making money or why does this have to be associated with an end goal um why can't we just learn for learning's sake rather than um you know to make us more productive or to make us more of something else like these are still indoctrinated ideals or uh, ideas mm -hmm. right that we have to be productive and we have to be making money in order to be a successful american <laughs> um and I think that that's, you know, I've heard this critique a lot where it's not necessarily capitalism, it's Americanism, mm -hmm. where we have this idea where um, we have to be working all yeah. the time, especially in, in, in quarantine. I know a lot of people struggled with this, was that um, if you're not, if you're sitting there, you need to be doing something. You need to be working, you need to be enriching your life or whatever. And it's like, you don't, you don't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do anything. And I think a lot of people don't, don't know that. A lot of people do not know the, the, the power that they have mm -hmm. and they feel powerless in a lot of ways to the societal pressure maybe or you know whatever internal pressures they put upon themselves that they've been institutionalized into believing um, you know uh, about what they should be and how they should be spending their time and, and their lives but in reality it's you don't have to do anything yeah. you don't have to do anything you don't want to do um, and I think it's hard. I think it's hard to acknowledge what you actually want. Yeah. That is a challenge because how much of what you want is actually what other people want for you. Mm -hmm. So that, I think that there's a lot of deprogramming that uh, people have to do if they want to, they really want change. And that, you know, like circling back to what we're talking about, uh, in the, at the start of the conversation, um, that takes a lot of acknowledging and that takes a lot of, uh, bravery mm -hmm. as well. Definitely. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's always like systemic, like you can't just uh, get out of capitalism automatically, but I do like by deciding you want to get out of it. But I do think that, yeah, it's very true that a lot of it does has to come, has to come from internally and an internal realization that you've been programmed. Because yeah, so much of labor that is done today is just, it doesn't need to be done. Like it's just, you know, I was reading about how a lot of jobs could be done in six hours um, that are done over it's five days of the week um, just because they're all about there's like these inefficient like we are so efficient now but a lot of our labor is just excess and a lot of actual labor is devalued and anyway um, yeah I think you're right it's just yeah it's at the, at the at the core I mean that's dehumanization mm -hmm. yeah right so like just like what this if you look at the top executive of whatever company you know what they want is to reduce their margins, right? Mm -hmm. So that means more, more, more. That's always more. They always want to show the graph where it's going up. They never want to be stagnant. They never want to be plateauing. And they definitely do not want to be going down. Uh, and you can equate that to any chart, any graph, whatever. Productivity, profits, etc. Um, and that's usually done at a cost. And the cost is usually labor. And the labor is, is human labor. Mm -hmm. And that labor is... Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you can, th th those profits and that bottom line for those people, they don't care about how it's done. They just care that it is done. Mm 
So, um, you know, in terms of how it's done, you know, you could have a lot happier people. You know, you could keep that line exactly where it is and you could plateau, but you could make people happier, you know, in your next quarter or whatever. Uh, but that's a choice. And that's a choice to continue with the idea that you need to be doing that and that you need to be doing these things because, and, and here's the, that's sort of the sort of trick is that ideas are uh, powerful and ideas are tools in a lot of way, tools of oppression. Mm. So that idea that we need to be keeping our profits up, that's a tool of oppression mm. right there. And it's, but here's the thing is ideas are also the, the tools of liberation. Mm. So um, it's it, it's it's they're really powerful ideas. So I think the more positive and and powerful I- ideas that you put out there, and the more positive uh, uh, or, or or more um, ideas that are that are prone to liberation and liberating people, and on, uh, if you the more you put that into the universe, I think the better you're doing, yes. or the more more good you're doing. Hopefully, I don't know. I, I, hope. <laughs> I hope. I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I hope. So. I have no. Just for the record, I am not qualified. To talk about anything that I'm talking about, I am a musician, <laughs> so I, you know, just like I'm not a political theorist, I'm not. So you know, just I'm not saying that to devalue myself. I'm just saying that to take everything I'm saying, you know, mm-hmm. as as what I'm saying from where it's coming from, not not in a yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> not in a way that I'm totally uh, in, uh, like versed on all this stuff. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not a political theorist either, and obviously, like it's it's complicated. Like, um, it's it's all very complicated. But I do think I like to think that you're right that art has a place in creating these ideas that plant seeds and speak to people on a very primal, you know, primal story level because that's what we know. That's what we operate on. Like we are always on an autopilot so it's like where is it where's the autopilot where are you going to set the autopilot to go um so that's what Mm -hmm. i like to like to think um yeah i mean okay this is uh this has been a lot i do have one segue um i think another system that we play into a lot is gender roles and i know that your album um, is concerned with that so um just as kind of a last segue if you wanted to talk a little bit about how your album refutes toxic masculinity or, or how you kind of grappled with that on the album. I'd love to hear about it. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that that's really done in the, um, a lot of that is done in the artwork. Uh, and it's sort of, uh, you know, I, I think that we have these, these, when it comes down to tools of oppression and ideas, there's, you know, look no further than gender, right? Like uh, you, you as w- what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, especially in certain societies, you know, certain cultures, like that's, it's not all the same. Uh, and it's not all the same in American culture either. But, you know, when you look at it, it's it's really can be quite oppressive. So, excuse me. When you um, take those ideas, the idea of kind of having a character that is embracing this sort of, these ideas of oppression, right? Like in a lot of way, in a lot of ways, the, the, the image of having um, this kind of, uh, this, this sort of uh, Eastern uh, form of oppression in the terms and form of a burqa and the Western uh, form of oppression in terms of the, this idea of the, the suit, right? This idea of a ma- masculinity. So they're both, uh, they're both embracing both sides of my culture, right? Like in, in parts that I'm not proud of. Um, you know, I'm not proud of the idea that we have to, you know, this idea of toxic masculinity in, in American culture and, and what it means to be, quote unquote, a man in this, in this culture. And I've definitely felt pressures in terms of uh, how I should be in that way. But also looking at the side of uh, the Eastern uh, side of my heritage, where it comes to the uh, this modified burqa, which for the record, I have no problem with anybody who chooses to wear a hijab, a niqab, or a burqa. If that is their choice, that is their choice. Um, and I have no problem with that. But I think when it comes to uh, the lack of choice, where, so where I'm from, um, you know, this is a pretty personal thing for me, but where I'm from is from the the... The region of uh, Pakistan, where they have these burqas, you don't find them anywhere else in the world. You find them in Afghanistan, and you find them in Pakistan, in this northern part of it. And um, you know, it was—it's very unique to me because it's unique to my people. 
and in in a lot of ways in certain areas um you know if you are not wearing this you know you know it's it's sort of this idea that you have to be wearing that for the men mm-hmm. for the men in the society you need to you you as a woman would need to wear this and it's because like what are you so afraid of as a man what are you so afraid of that you'll see you know and it, it really just if anything it shows the the power of women more than it shows uh the power of men you know it shows the weakness of this idea of masculinity because you need you need to cover somebody to prove that you are a man you know to 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 keep to with withstand your uh values with the, to withstand your uh principles so it really is something that i i wanted to question and, and embrace not from a in a way that i was attacking anybody but really embracing something that was personal to myself and to my own culture on both sides on my western and my eastern sides of culture so by taking these symbols and sort of wearing them together you make a, a contradiction you know a suit with a burqa these don't make sense on so many levels um so i think the idea was to kind of take these symbols and to flip them on their heads and to kind of parody them and to uh in a way reinvent them mm. by embracing them that's that's really really cool yeah i wasn't um yeah i actually wasn't sure exactly the statement you were trying to make but that makes a lot of sense with your with the rest of your project i think just with the idea of breaking down binaries and um kind of finding that they're beyond limit space um that that we were talking about before um yeah i've always been very into sort of the idea of a third a third space beyond either or um and i think it's interesting that you take these symbols that are yeah symbolic of um they can be symbolic of oppression or cultural roles and just kind of blur them together so um yeah i mean i think masculinity um is connected to what we were talking about before um in that I think there's just a lot of, of fear and terror there, just my personal opinion. I also don't don't totally believe in gender, but anyway, um, yeah, I just basically I think what you're doing is, is really powerful. So thank you for putting all this imagery out into the world and sharing it here today. Thank you. Thank you for asking about it and, and asking such uh, introspective and um, good questions.